0: And we are live. Thank you once again for joining us for another episode of the Box Boxing One Podcast. I think this is our first episode. If you guys believe it or not, this is our first one in three months. I don't know if you guys realize that, um, but I'm Ron Salgado, joined by Azim Faruqi and Primate Bose. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, Fred Van Vliet's All-Star Selection. Big news. Um, also, we're going to talk about the Raptors' 127-120 to win against the Bulls. And uh, at the end, if you stick around, um, I, I think we can talk a little bit about baseball since it's been a long time since we've talked. Uh, we've talked any baseball. I think our last episode was actually baseball, but I mean it's it's been three months, so we can talk about where we're at with uh, with, with some of the negotiations. Um, so before we move any further, play the intro. <music> Alright, guys. So uh as I mentioned, Fred Van Vliet named an all-star reserve today. Uh any any surprises? Did you guys think he was actually gonna end up getting voted? Or or did you guys think he was gonna be like a quote unquote snub? I thought he was gonna
1: get it. Absolutely. He's so well respected around the league. Um he so plays so hard on defense. I think league. I don't know if he leads the league in total minutes, but he leads the league in minutes per game, which is very, which is respected by a lot of coaches in the era of load management. Uh so respected by players. Uh, the analytics stand up. I mean, he plays. B. D- I know, like Lamelo Ball. I think was the he ended up being snubbed, right? Lamelo.
0: Yeah, that was the big one. That one. Uh, Jalen Brown. Um, who was the other name? There's a big man that I think was, was on that list of, uh, you know, snubs. I can't remember who it was, but, um, yeah.
1: I mean, I'm looking at, I know that windchairs isn't the be all end all, but Fred Van Vliet has a coming to tonight had a 5.3 wind chair. Um, uh, LaMelo Ball had 3.9. Like LaMelo Ball is fantastic and could end up being a star, but he doesn't play the D that fred brings like it, it, it i mean and i think even like with guys like for example like chris paul going to the nba finals last year what like the respect that although people tend to forget that what lowry's doing in miami he did here all these years but they're acting as if he's like a breakout player now down there but i think there is a newfound sort of respect for that Traditional point guard, point god, whatever you want to call them, and Fred fits that mold. So um, the leadership qualities, the challenges the team has had this year. So yeah, I have uh, he sh- deserved to be there, and good on the league for sending him there.
0: I, I had a I had a slight inkling that he was gonna get uh, he was gonna get snubbed, which I mean it would have been too bad. I don't know that it necessarily would be the worst thing because he's been playing so many minutes and I thought the rest would have been nice. But I mean, when you, when you look at his career progression, he went from being undrafted to in 2017, a G league champion, 2019, an NBA champion, um, 2021, most points scored by an undrafted player, uh, which was that 50, was it 56 point game? Um, Mm -hmm. And then 2022 NBA all-star, the Raptors are four games above 500, which that's another thing that I don't I don't think anybody really thought they were gonna be that good. And Fred Van Vliet is obviously huge huge part of it. And I think he's averaging what like thirty-eight minutes. Is it still thirty-eight minutes a game? Oh uh, yeah, about there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just about. Maybe higher
1: after tonight. <laughs> but
0: Yeah, it's it's like it's and, and we can get onto that because I, I think like yeah, congratulations to Fred. I mean there there's there's also the the Pascal Uh, snub, which um, I I mean, Kevin Durant uh, is still going to be... I don't think he's playing, so there's still the potential that Pascal can get on there? Well,
1: yeah, it'll be Jared Allen. Jared Allen was snubbed uh, in a big way. I think Allen deserves to go
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I would love for it to be Pascal, but like at the same time, I, I don't. I don't know that it would necessarily be um, fair for the Raptors to get two guys on there. I don't. I don't think they've been that good. Although, you know, if they have Pascal for the full season, who knows where they are record wise? And I, I think that's probably the one thing that holds Pascal back. It's the fact that you know he missed what was it a month? He he. Yeah, he missed the first month, and then he wasn't very good in November.
1: If you, if you recall like you took off, he really started getting comfortable the first week of december so it took him a while to get so he's had two really good months uh the defense is back um he's turned into a very good playmaker very good post player the shooting is better three-point shooting is better than it was last year and he's shooting less which i think is good he's only going for high percentage looks now he's not Last year, I felt he took too many. Um, that will never be his game. He'll be an adequate shooter, but I don't think he's an an elite shooter by any stretch. So,
0: yeah, and I yeah. definitely recall the struggles because I think that was around the last time that we had an episode. No, mid November, um, it was right around when the Raptors started to struggle. Mm-hmm. They were, I think, two games under five hundred with a game to go against the Jazz. Which they looked pretty. I think they looked pretty lost defensively that game, and and Pascal was a big part of that. And I remember having conversations between um, me, you, and awesome where we were saying like he just he doesn't look like he knows what's going on. He doesn't look like he's up to speed. And this is at, at the time when like Twitter was just pounding on him. And it's funny because I've I've been like on our Twitter account, um, and if you don't follow us, follow us at Boxing One Pod. Um, I, I keep asking the question now, where are all the Pascal haters? Because there were so many at that time. And they've, like, this is, this agree or disagree, this has to be the best he's played in his career.
1: Yeah, I think so also because there is a much more, like when he was playing, when he made the All-Star team before the pandemic, he had a lot, you had, he didn't have to be like the anchor that he is now. I mean, he had a lot of, he had like a Gasol, he had Serge, he had Kyle, he had other like leadership around them. He had Norm who could score a lot. He had, he didn't have to take on as big a load as he is right now. So, yeah. Um, I'm looking comparing his stats to the All Star year. Obviously, some of them. Some of the numbers are skewed a little because he was pretty bad in those regular season bubble games. But I'm just looking at the uh, traditional stats. His field goal percentage is higher. Although, funnily enough, he took more shots. field goal, Had more field goal attempts in 2020, than in 2022, even though there were more options around him. So he's a higher field goal percentage. Uh, the three-point percentage is lower, but he's taking fewer threes. Um, so his, he's shooting over 50% on twos. This is not including tonight. Uh, the assist numbers, he was at three and a half assists a game of the all-star season. Is at 5.1 assists a game. Now the rebound numbers are up, uh, block numbers about the same, uh, steals are up, um, points per game down a little bit. He's not, sh- his free throw shooting isn't as quite at the level it was.
0: I think that's the big difference too. I, I think if you look at the free throw percentage, I think he's down like 8%. He, he was hovering around 80% in that year, wasn't he? 7.92. So just yeah.
1: under 80. And then
0: last year he was over
1: 80. People forget he was, even though he was, last year was considered a disappointing year, it was his best free throw shooting uh, season of his career. So I mean, he's doing well. I mean, and I it's, again, some of these numbers for this year are skewed because of the fact that like he had a, pretty inconsistent november and he's a lot smarter he's getting at he reads the game well on offense like he knows when to pass he knows he's quick to make that decision okay the double team is coming i'm 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 moving the ball like he's just really coming to his own like there is a there's a difference when you're a really and it's you can't quantify it but When you're scoring points, but you're not necessarily in control of the game. Now he's in control of the game. Like he controls the tempo, the pace, everything goes through him. Um, Where I think before, a lot of like he had, he relied more on his athleticism, the spin move that um, the league started to obviously figure out. So he's added many more elements to his game. So, and again, hard to quantify, but like two players can average 21 points a game, but it's one thing just to like have the ball, like just run the floor, have somebody pass through the ball and get an easy layup versus now like the ball, you hold onto the ball, the play goes through you, you create your own shot versus passing it out of double teams. So that's the difference between him two years ago and what he is now.
0: Yeah. I, I, th- I think we started to see a little bit of it. Um, and I remember John Hollinger writing an article about him where, where he was, he was starting to, and it was really early in the season. I think it was like eight games in, but we started to see like what he is doing now. Um, but I think what most people remember is how bad he was in the bubble last year, which was just a disaster. And everybody loves to joke about that spin move, which at that time seemed to be his only move and he didn't have a counter. Um, but it's it, he's he's really started to look up and and awesome, just to fill you in where we're at since you got disconnected, some technical difficulties there. We're we're just talking about Pascal and the snub, but I, I think um we, we haven't talked about the game yet. So let's talk about the one twenty seven one twenty win against the against the Chicago Bulls today. Um, so that puts us or I say us as if I'm on that team. I'm not on the team, obviously, but <laughs> it puts the Raptors four games above five hundred. Awesome. How how. Did you expect
2: this? Honestly, not a whole lot. I would have been happy if we were probably hovering or just flirting with 500 right about this time. Probably looking at the record, I would probably think I would have been happy with like a 22-28 record after 50 games. or um, oh, Especially with how Pascal was playing last year again. Um Obviously, obviously played a big role, but I'm, I'm surprised. I, I really didn't think this would have, uh, you know, they would have been this good, this deep into the season.
1: Um, I'm not, okay, they're a little bit, I had them between 38 and 44 games this season, and they're a little bit above, I think they're on pace for about 44 and a half or 45 wins now. I think the way... I mean, I think the, the way that they've gotten there, it's been a little bit uh, chaotic. Like, I expected them to have a backup point guard with Dragic. <laughs> I, I expected um, Boucher to not have been so bad the first two and a half months or the first two months of the season. Um, we didn't expect... Beck, I mean, we knew they'd take time for Pascal to work his way back, but I didn't think he'd be as bad as he was at times in November either. So, like, it, and they've lost some games. They should have won. They've won games. They probably should have. Like, how do you lose to Detroit one night, and then you go in to play Milwaukee with Giannis and beat them? Yeah. And they fairly, like, it was not a blowout, but it was a decisive win. It wasn't like, oh, they just got lucky or one guy got hurt. Like, and they've beaten some good teams recently. Now these good teams haven't been at full strength either. But then again, the Raptors lost a few games early on when they weren't at full strength. So balances. I don't. I don't know. But they
2: also concerned. won. A, they won a few games in December where they weren't. They were playing better teams who were sort of injury plagued a little bit. Right? Yeah, they did. I so I, right, the beginning of like you know when they're starting to get on a bit of a run.
1: Yeah, they they did. Like, uh, they've beaten Milwaukee twice without Giannis, but then they kind of validated those wins win by beating them with Giannis. I mean, they've beaten Miami twice without Kyle Lowry, but Miami still on paper, even without Lowry, on paper is a better team than Toronto. Tonight's Bulls win. They had their top guys, but they didn't have Caruso and Ball and some of their uh, supporting players. So, but then again, they've had a lot of these issues too. They haven't had their full team together. Like they they've had what? Something it's something like 9 games with Trent Siakam, Van Vliet, OG and Scotty. It's yeah. like a, it's something like ridiculously so I, I mean, They I had the
0: 90 they had the 905 playing at one point basically. Yeah, I mean there was that one like Cleveland game which was just a
1: joke. Like yeah. I think their most experienced guy on the floor was Utah, <laughs> But the,
2: yeah. Like, like, so let me, can I ask a question? <laughs> go yeah. ahead, go ahead. Wait, okay, sorry, I'm going to lag sometimes. It's just kind of weird. Um, so knowing what we know, so we've seen Pascal improve. One, how much do you guys think that's real? Cause it's been probably about a, almost a, we're going on to a couple of months now, not more than that but also with all the covid issues you know teams have played some wonky lineups here and there what do you actually make of the season do we actually really know who truly the best teams are
0: no i i think like the, the narrative of the season has been like every team has had to deal with playing other teams who weren't at full strength. So I, I don't know. And I could be wrong because I, I haven't looked at all the lineups. I haven't looked at all the games. I don't have enough time to do that, but like, honestly, I, every team at one point was hit hard by, um by the health and safety protocols. So at, at some point, you know, a, a top team was playing another potentially top team without a full strength lineup. So I, I don't know that we, we still have a good sense of, of where the teams are i think overall you know like when you look at some of the teams you know you look at the phillies you look at milwaukee's um you know the, the suns you know the, you know who the you know who the good teams are but I, I think where where it really differs is maybe maybe the like the six to ten range you know the the play-in teams or the ones that are just borderline playing i think that's where you know there might be some question of how good some of these teams are and, I, and I, honestly, like. As as a as a Raptors fan, it, it pains me to say this, but I think the Raptors might fall in that bucket a little bit because you know we we had the benefit of playing the Hawks recently without Trey, um, you know the the Bucks at one point without Giannis, um, the Heat a couple times without Kyle. Yeah, we we were in the same boat at one time too, playing with like awful lineups. But I mean, to be honest with you, we, we still don't know best lineup against best lineup how good we actually stack up. But but the one thing that I will say is uh, on the the Pascal question, this is absolutely real. Um, I, like Pramit and I, I know Pramit. You've you've said many times you've got tired of of defending him, but you still knew that there was something there for whatever reason. We didn't know what it was. He just couldn't put it together, and now all of a sudden it's all it's all rounding out, and like he's he's looking in top form.
1: Yeah, I mean here's the thing people forget look at what he was when they drafted him and look at what he got to in a short period of time you don't Mm -hmm. get to that level if you are a scrub or you're not that good and there is still that misconception in the nba that just because you get the max deal that makes you a top 10 player it does not it's the economics of the league that a lot of people still tend to forget. Yeah. Okay. If you're, when you get paid, you, there is that higher expectation on you. And rightfully so. And he did, he started off fine. And then he hit, I don't know what happened in the, during that first, when the season was suspended during the first, at the beginning of the pandemic and then the bubble. And then, and last year he got off to a pretty bad start, but overall, like he was better in the second half. And then he got hit with COVID, but then he still ended up. Okay. Not a, Great season, not what you'd expect, but not as it wasn't the disaster that uh when you look at the overall stats, what people people would have thought he was averaging 15 and that and like shooting less than 30, like third 40 percent, but he wasn't that bad. Um, but it's real. He's figured it out. He works out of he trains in the Rico Heinz camp, which is a very highly respected player development league. Um he has the work ethic he's gotten to a level that he should never should have gotten to and now he's just getting they're back home they're in a good even though they don't have fans there's still a normalcy to the season again which i think he's a appears to be a guy that thrives on a normal routine so yeah it's real and he's that like I said he's Is there's a difference when you're scoring a lot, but guys are creating for you and you're have like a couple of go-to moves or you run the floor and you just outrun everybody and get an easy layup versus like creating a shot. Right. And that's sustainable. Like that's, that's how the, for example, that's how the Raptors beat the bucks because outside of Giannis, like they had a bunch of great shooters around them, but they couldn't put the ball on the floor and create their own shot or make plays and the Raptors took advantage of that and beat them. So he's evolved into that kind of offensive player.
0: Yeah, and, and what I will say, if if you really want to know about the evolution of Pascal, while we're still on the Pascal topic, if you haven't listened to JJ Reddick's podcast, uh, Old Man in the Three, with Pascal on there, listen to it, watch it on YouTube. Um, j- just like when he talks about how he got into basketball, how he progressed from from high school into, into college, into the NBA. Like there, there's just something about the guy. Like he just, he just has something about him where he just picks things up and, and is able to excel. I don't know what it is, but anybody who can pick up the game at 15. And even for the, for the first year where he played it, played it like a couple weeks a year to be able to make it to the NBA and, and play at a high level at the NBA, not, not just be in the NBA. Like he's, he's a, Super impressive guy, and and that's why I've always continued to root for him. It's it's his story that that I love, but also just he's he's such a unique player. You saw what he was able to do against Miami in that o, in that OT game. That that back to back blocks against was uh, I think it was against uh, Bam Adebayo. Like he just does things that athletically other big men can't necessarily do. Yeah, there's a handful, um, and and I think he is like the expectations are really. Contract base, which, like you, like you said, Prime it's it's kind of crazy because, like, you think about it, there's max contract pretty much means that maybe you're like top a top forty to sixty player in the league, like in, in some cases, because you know every team gets a couple of max contracts, really. If you look at it,
1: yep, and remember, even though he had the bubble games, which skewed his number towards the negative, he still was second team All NBA that year. Is people yeah. forget that, and he's better now than he was then, with less with less depth on the team as well. So he's yeah, doing yeah, it with exactly. Much greater emphasis on him than what there would have been.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, another guy that I want to talk about, and and he he didn't have so he he had five straight games with thirty plus points, Um, but he had so it, it's it's Gary Trent Jr. He had sixteen. Um, three rebounds, three assists. Still, still a very good contribution. But I, I just want to ask. Looking forward, um, I think this trade deadline, we we pretty much know who the, who the the main the main piece is. You want to you want to make make a move on Dragic, uh, Dragic. Um, but looking at Gary Trent Jr. in the future, um, what what are your what's your outlook for him? Like, do you guys think he's his ceiling is is All Star level? Is this is this a guy that the Raptors want to invest heavily in? I know Raptors fans love him, but just from a a dollars and cents perspective, um, is this this a guy that you want to sink some money into, especially with some of the contracts that you're going to have to pay out in the coming years?
1: I don't know. You have to see – I want to see him in a playoff round. I think that's where you'll learn. Um, When the defenses are amped up, when you're playing higher quality competition, when teams – are game planning. Everybody gets game planned for, and teams are just taking away things that you're good at. Like he's able to get away with his pull up mid range, which is very good, by the way. But they're going to take that away from him <laughs> now. So, now that said, we have a very good coaching staff who'll be able to get him to the right places. But I don't think we can. We can't judge anything yet because again, it's been a very wonky, chaotic year. I would like to I think that the I think the team would like to see how he what he does in a playoff round before they go ahead and uh, make that call.
2: Yeah, I, would agree. I don't think there's any urgency to do anything this uh, this deadline with him, right? Uh, again, yes, you're doing well and you might want to progress, but still a bit of a development year. so why not just run with him for the whole year? If you are in the playoffs, see a round or two, see how he reacts to adjustments, and maybe you'll know better. Yeah,
0: and and definitely not not. I mean, I, I doubt they would do anything this deadline. And I'm just mm-hmm. looking, looking forward because I I think you know a lot of people talk about his contract and and they say you know it's it's a three year deal I, when in reality he only has another year after this because that third year is an option year, mm-hmm. and there's no way he's taking that option because if he keeps doing what he's doing right now. You look at it; he's opting out, and he's going to go get paid. And when you look at, you know, we're going to have to pay Scotty in a few years. Um, You're going to have to pay Fred. I I feel like Fred is is up in a couple years as well. So you'll have Pascal with a significant contract. Um, If you have to pay um, Gary Trent, you're you're going to have Gary. You're going to have like it's just it's just at some point it's going to become a situation like the Suns where. You know, the Suns don't want to pay DeAndre Ayton um the max contract that he wanted because you know the Suns have a bunch of players at like who are at a at a playing at a high level.
2: Fred's up at the same time. So he has a player option after next year. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So you're gonna have to hand Fred They're gonna hand over two deals, right? In the same year.
1: Yeah. We don't know. I mean, maybe Trent gets you maybe you just have to wait and see who the next um, next star is a, that's available. That could end up being like these are these are assets, right? These are so yeah, these deals are assets. I think I think the plan is just see what the core is all about and then um set themselves up for deals like they they can, um, the team, while they don't have like a ton of cap space for free agency. They're very well set up for the for matching salaries and trade. Although I think the draft pick pool is a bit light. Like they they not they haven't stockpiled picks the way other orgs have. But then, those other orgs are going to have very, a lot of difficulty doing salary matching. So, it goes both ways. But yeah, it'll. And yeah, they'll wait for the big deal. Maybe
0: Giannis wants
1: out of Milwaukee.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and they. Yeah, and in that case, you got a couple contracts that you can throw in there. I mean, you still—I think they still have to figure out. We we've talked about this in our group chat as well. It's it's OG. What do you? Where, where does he end up? Right? Um, what does he end up becoming? Sure, he's still a lockdown defender, but I think there's still a lot to be desired when it when it, when you look at his offensive game. Uh, I'm not saying, and and like anybody watching or listening, like we we're, we're not saying you have to make moves right now we're, we're like definitely not but at some point you're going to have decisions to make with how well all these guys are playing and to be honest with you that's a great problem to have yep
2: Play
0: right now I, yeah and right now all you really have to do is worry about that drugage contract because i mean really that becomes do you trade it or if no trade then you have to buy them out
2: mm-hmm. if you can and do it deal, deal, i would is, say just buy out right
1: Oh, yeah, he's going to get bought. If they don't move him next week, they're buying him out. I, I mm-hmm. think there's no question. That, that there's was, no
2: other, Yeah, there's no other option there. Basically, you
1: know? That was always the... I, I'm sure that was always the agreement when they sent him home. It was uh, like... He's like, he'll accept the buyout, but they want to get far enough uh, far along into the year where he gets most of that money and then he can sign on with the contender. That contract is an asset, uh, so they have a lot... Now, word is that there is a lot of interest around the league, and uh, Doug Smith reported that there's a. The Raptors expect to move, a, have a deal for him for with that contract. Now, what they get back, I don't know, because this has been a very. I've been, while you know, you follow NBA writers on Twitter, this has been a very quiet. In terms of rumors, like, you don't really know a lot of who's out there. You've heard, like, Rashawn
0: Holmes.
1: There's the Dragage deal. Um, uh, I mean, there's obviously talk about, like, John Wall or Westbrook. That rumor's out there. But I don't – it's been a, a – rumor-wise, it's been very quiet. I don't know. Maybe it's because, like, a lot of teams have to deal with all these – this cold like dealing with covid and players being out on protocols that maybe that just that was the focus of their time there hasn't been enough emphasis put on the trade market um a lot of teams with so many injured guys that it's it's teams haven't quite gotten a read on who they are yet but they got a week to figure it out now
0: yeah, and maybe it's they're spending too much time worrying about Ben Simmons because that's all I've heard about pretty much. That, that's that been the one, like, constant since the start of the season. It's been where does Ben Simmons end up?
1: Hmm. Ever since for Siakam was actually rumored and people talked crazy. about that as, like, oh, my God, the Raptors should give it a shot.
0: Yeah, crazy. Like, everybody's like, you have to do that. Why wouldn't you do that? And it's like, no, Pas- Pascal is, is like – they talk about Simmons being a unique player. Pascal is just as unique, just in a very different way. And he can shoot, right? Which, imagine Simmons on this team. Like, imagine, like, there would be almost zero spacing.
1: Well, Simmons wouldn't be
0: – I would
1: put Simmons at center in a small lineup. <laughs>
0: Yeah, go, yeah. Go, I mean, work, the, the, yeah. That, that's work. always been the the best. I think the best utilization of of Simmons is when
1: yeah, when you can utilize him in that manner. Yeah, because teams are. And I, ironically, I use the example of Philly. I mean, I don't think putting him against Embiid at center is the right decision, especially yeah. because Embiid will probably want to murder him
0: down there when they play <laughs> each other. <laughs> and, and so the, the other guy that I want to talk about because I've been super impressed and I know he was a whipping boy near the end of the, near the beginning of the season is, is Chris, Chris Boucher, who like since mid, mid to late December has like completely transformed his, his game. I think he went from being a guy who thought every time he got the ball, he had to put up a shot to now realizing his role really is defend offensive rebounds. And that's another thing guys like, the offensive rebounding on this team gets me so excited when you see like, you see like th- three pairs of arms in the key all grabbing for that ball, and you know somebody's getting a hand on it. And Chris Boucher has he's he's like today he had sixteen and ten. I don't know how many offensive boards he had, but he's been a beast lately. And I they, they mentioned it on the broadcast and Primate, you mentioned this before. Watching the the Dennis Rodman tapes has to help. Mm-hmm. Oh
1: yeah. Dennis rodman was not the biggest guy he was strong but he wasn't like your classic seven footer and yeah Boucher five and yeah December in 24 minutes uh average 7.8 rebounds uh January averaging about 25 46 a game seven rebounds Was a very good number so yeah he's come around now I think he's gonna be traded and I'm this is nothing like it's I'm not this isn't like all oh, Boucher hate or anything like that. It's that he's um, what does he have an op? Is it a team option or player option for next year?
0: I think it might be a team option if I'm not mistaken, but I'd, I'd, I'd have to check.
1: Yeah, we should check that actually. So,
0: um... but it is a very movable contract, and I actually asked about that today on uh, that sports business classroom um seminar that I was I was telling you guys about and like they, they didn't answer it but I, I'm really curious to see like how, what the interest is actually let the me
1: uh I'll actually he there is no option for next year he's a UFA according to spot track
0: so I, I I think he's he's definitely candidate to be moved. Yeah, he's a UFA
1: I'm just confirming on hoop swipe. Yeah this is he's a yeah, he's a UFA, and so I mean, again, we—I don't know what I mean. The, if, usually, when Messiah and Bobby are quiet, it means that something's going to happen. <laughs> they, they, when there's always rumors about them, that it ends up being a little disappointing. Like yep. last year's deadline, we all thought Lowry was gone, and they didn't do anything. But they moved Norm, and which turned out to be a steal. And um, the, and they made the smaller deals with Terrence Davis and Matt Thomas. Uh, again, it's going to be. It's going to. He's playing really. I mean, Boucher is playing very well. A lot of teams would find value in a player like him. He's such a, he's a very good role player. Um. Again, if he's packed, if there is a guy available, and I don't know who is, but like, if they can fill out that center position, if they can get a very good guard, um. And he's part of that package, you have to consider it. And I love the way he plays, but it's gonna be very difficult again in a cap with a cap system to retain him when we just talked about the Trent situation um and the other guys for next year.
0: Yeah, as much as I would hate to see Boucher go, I think like that that contract would be would be very movable to get an asset back. Um we we talked about the Pirtle pur- possibility. Um not that I don't, I don't think the Spurs would actually want that, but we were—I think we were just looking at dollar for dollar, what would make most sense, and we came up with like the Malachi and and Boucher for Pirtle because that works out great for the Raptors. And th- these are the types yeah. of trades that I think are always thrown out there on those uh, on those Fan Five ninety call in shows whenever they're talking about the Jays. It's like throw out throw out our, our our worst guys to to get in exchange for the the best guys from somewhere else.
2: Ryan Goins for Mike crowd, right?
0: <laughs> That's exactly. Exactly. Yeah,
1: the cap, yeah, they're not. They don't have any bad contracts on the books. Like there isn't a deal that they have where I'm like, oh god, what the hell do we need to offload this? I mean, I guess maybe Kem Birch if you had to. If I had to pick a bad contract that they have, because and that's not even really bad. It's very movable, and it is an asset. But like he's making six million and hasn't really. I mean, he's been hurt a lot, but he hasn't really provided much this year. Um, but again, it is movable. Like if it's part of a package, if they are trying to land the big fish, um, and the so yeah, it's a it's a movable deal for sure. Um, but there is I there we don't have any albatrosses. Let's put it that way.
0: No, they they did a really good job of of kind of positioning themselves because if you look at their their contract situation, it's it's everything is around like seven eight million dollars and below, and then you have those like three contracts which are around 20 23 million and then pascals which is which is the big one so like it, it's if they ever need to create some space they can with some deals and then you got that yeah. dragage one obviously which is the uh, 20 million which and even
1: their yeah and the guys that have the biggest deals are guys that other teams would want because they're playing very well yeah so, yeah we're uh good shape contract wise
0: yeah, and and just to look back at what we said, I think to to round off this Raptors discussion, I, I remember at the beginning of the season we said if they're at five hundred headed into the All Star break, we're happy because we felt that they would be a second half team. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's looking really promising right now. If you look their stat, look at their stats over the past two weeks um, on in both offensive rating and defensive rating uh, as per cleaning the glass. Um, they're, I think ninth in offense and 11th in defense. So the eleven the, the defense has really improved. And that was the one area where they were like low twenties for, for most of the season. And I think that's, you've seen it over the past few weeks, they've gotten so much better.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And again, they're playing better competition as well. Even though those teams may not have had their full roster. They still had very good or they've, it's not like they're fielding. You still have like two all, two all-stars tonight. And Vucevic, even though, again, they didn't have Caruso and Ball. Um, So it's a work in progress, but they're making good progress. I'm I'm not going to say, like, oh, they're top four. They they have that potential. No, they're not there yet. They need – the bench is a problem. The minutes, like, they don't have a lot of depth outside of their guys. That's why, like, when one of those guys goes down, it just becomes very chaotic. Uh, That's why you've had games where you may have – like, they lost – they didn't play well in that OKC game I attended in December, even though they had most of their guys there. But, like, you didn't have precious. And then while he could be cringeworthy on offense, he's a he's very good on defense. And he's But he,
0: he, he's been a lot better offensively, though, if, if, you, if you, getting, you look recently. Yeah, he's improving. Yeah, he's, but yeah. there are
1: times where, like, those hands are awful. Like, today there was a game in the second quarter. He makes a really good move. Um, puts up a floater and it just looks so bad and he was open and it just looks so bad coming out of his hand and it just, it was a complete miss. That's not the one that he airballed, is it? No, he didn't airball it. It hit the rim, but it just, like you couldn't have had a more high percentage shot for a player with his, like a 6'9 guy in the paint where he just managed to um, get free of his defender, had plenty of space and all he had to do was just float it up. And it just looks just so. Uh, I don't know. It's like you know when you watch a pitcher in baseball and just know they got not when they're throwing and there's just no velocity, no movement. There's nothing. Yeah, that's what it looks like. When the ball comes out of his hand. They have to work. He has to work on that. But again, it's the development year, so just try not to get too high or too low about
0: anything. Anyway. There, there was another one of those where he came in off the wing drove it in and I think he had like a little half, like a, a baby hook and it it looked like it was either a shot. If it was a shot, it was the worst miss I've ever seen. But Pascal was also under the basket. So it may have been a shot that he kind of turned into a pass. But <laughs> if it was a shot, it was, it was one of the worst misses I've ever seen. Uh-huh. All right. So I, I think that's a good spot to to end off the, the Raptors discussion. One of the things that I really want to get to, because I'm completely lost with what's going on. And we talked about the Blue Jays and some of the moves that they were making a while ago, but obviously there's been a little bit of a holdup. So can you guys fill me in on, on what the deal is with with the MLB and uh, the, the work stoppage in general?
2: So for the longest of time, there really wasn't any movement going on since the lockout. Um, recently, things have started to gain some traction. Uh, the league came out with a proposal um, I think the PA countered as well. I don't want to say they're further along. I don't still see, you know, we're going to have seasons, probably not going to start on time. Um, But uh, there are definitely some areas where you can see that there could be some convergence. There are some areas that are, you know, both sides are still wide apart. Um, League has made it known that uh, there's certain areas that are no-go areas. uh, They don't want to discuss. So for example, um, I think um, I think reducing free agency. So for Jays fans, that would have had an impact because you would have lost one year of Bow and Blood. So it seems like that's a no-go area for the league. That's not really going to happen. Um, the other thing that they're really not big on is uh, changing the Super Two, Super 2 eligibility. Uh, for those who are not aware, this is basically so generally. When players come up, they have six full years of control. If they, you know, come up on opening day as rookies, um, they generally hit uh, arbitration, I think, after two years. If they go past the set certain date, that sort of changes every month, every year. Um, then they're eligible after this third. Like, it's something wonky like that. Pramit, I don't know, you can probably explain that better. But uh, other than that, the good news is there has been there's let the they're not as far apart on rookie, uh, le- you know, rookie salary. So, league minimum, I think it's a, a 200,000 dollars difference, which I think is still ludicrous. I think, uh, this is where I think I would fall the league for the fall the PA more than the league because they'll always come with something low. It's, I don't think the league should have, like, the PA, sorry, should have looked, you know, even can't come up with like 775,000. I think. 28% of all pitches, I think, were thrown by rookies last year. Uh, you're getting a lot of surplus value. You might, you might not see that in war or something like that. And you might see that, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that there might be relievers. A lot of them, you know, kids might come up or foray guys coming up, throwing uh, a game here and there to give regular pitches a day's rest. Yes, we know all of that. But at the end of the day, that all accounted for 28% of the workload right and you can't have 28 percent of people making that little salary so again it goes back to they want more dollar value in free agency i get why you want to do that but i mean scotty barnes is making seven million dollars in his rookie year right i mean vlad made half a million dollars the value that vlad provided to mlb forget the blue jays is exponentially more than what scotty's gonna like and scotty's having a great year right yeah um, so again sure vladdy wasn't a rookie but i mean the point being he's still like making probably 10 times less than what uh, it is in nba so again i think there's still some fundamental issues with how pa approaches things and i think that that's challenging um i don't see a lot of coverage around that um my opinions are slightly more contrary and different I think PA is to blame as much as the league for this state we're in today because PA really doesn't look out for up and coming kids as much as probably they should.
0: Is is there one main sticking point or is it just like a bunch of things?
2: There are a bunch of things, right? So the PA definitely wanted uh, an, either an age-based free agency or you know reduce the number of years of control they wanted uh, again, the arbitration date to change. Um, they do want to tie they want to relook at uh, the draft a little bit. It seems like the league has shown a little bit of openness to that, although they it's it's funny how they' they're agreeing to it as well. It's like if we don't follow, then we should um, get uh, a draft pick as a reward. Um, but that's one. but the thing that l- the league is huge on is uh, they want an expanded playoff. And I think this is probably uh, the biggest chip that uh, the PA could play with because that is something um, the league wants at all costs. Obviously, there are more eyes during the playoffs. There's more money in the pot. Um, th- there are a lot of benefits to it.
1: The though, is concerned because, like, let's say, for example, you're a team that's in a mid-80s win team and you miss the playoffs and – but you said, hey, we're very close. Let's go out and spend money if we have the room re- and get a couple of players. The, where the PA is concerned is that if more teams are getting in, owners will be less incentivized to spend money to get in because it'll be so much easier to get in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So their concern is that owners will pocket more revenue and then spend less money as a result of that because it's a. It, it's like let's say the Jays had gotten in this year with ninety-one wins, as they should have, and they didn't. Rodgers could say, "Hey, you know what? We don't need. We could. Oh, look, um, Semin and Ray left. Well, we don't need to replace. We could still, if we fall to eighty-something wins, we could still probably get in with the development of our young guys. We don't need to give you the money to get to get Gosman. So it's a little. It's uh, that." So, as, as exciting as it could potentially be, I mean, there's pros and cons to it. There is a concern from that, from the CA. So,
2: so, that that's a fair concern, but it goes both ways, right? It cuts both ways. So, you're also ha- you also have teams who are probably at around 84, 85 wins. And, like, if we spend a little, if we get a semi-type of a player, of a Ray, we're in that conversation. We might want to go. You know, we might want to pull the train. if you're at
1: 84, 85 wins and you think you can get in and
2: with 88, you will spend. You May not even need 88
1: if you expand, maybe 85 is enough. That's true. And then it's oh, well, crap. Sh- oh, and everybody says the playoffs or baseball playoffs are the biggest crap shoot there is. So they'll owners can just say, Hey, we don't need 88, We we can get in with 85.
0: Have they said how much they want to expand it by? Is it like just an extra an extra couple of teams or like do they want to do like a play-in type of thing like they like they did was it the um, that that was shortened covid year? Like that type of thing or? I think it's
1: similar to that uh, from what I I don't I'm not totally familiar with it. I've only just read details, but I think it would be something similar to that covid year. But that was yeah. yeah, I think I think they liked it. I mean, it was a sixty-game season. You had to do it. <laughs> so yeah. like, it was a completely different, um, and you had no fans, and they like, so like you needed that make up that extra revenue and get those extra games. And but no, I I see the pros and cons to it. I think it. I mean, there is a lot of fans that have wanted an expanded playoff. I've never been big on it because you're already at one hundred and sixty-two games, like. It's one thing when, with these other leagues, when you have 82 games and you have to have those extra games to get that revenue in because you can't play every day. And just the more games you have, the bigger sample size, you'll be able to differentiate the truly elite teams from just like mid tier teams, right? Like when you have 82 games, you could have two really hot months and then be trashed for four months and still make the playoffs. and not do anything. Or So you've, More, I mean, this year was a bit of an anomaly because it really went down to the last, literally the last inning of the last game of the season to get to settle the playoffs. But there were a lot of good teams. But that's... And with more teams getting in, we could have more weekends like that. But on the flip side is that you've already had six months where you've played pretty
0: much every day. We
1: Most of the time, you'll know.
0: So, you know what the funny thing that that I find about this whole thing is that, like... (sighs) being a soccer fan the the season itself is the most important thing i mean mls aside mls is different it's it's very north american based but in europe winning the season is what's most important and it doesn't cheapen the like the the, the work that you do throughout the, the course of the entire season here for whatever reason we place so much importance on the playoffs and i get it the playoffs are a lot more fun because it's it's like higher stakes but like Baseball is already such a long season. You've done you've done your work over one hundred and sixty two games, and now what you're now what you're saying is that that means even less now because we're letting more teams into the playoffs.
2: So you're right. So this there, this there's a lot to unpack what you guys just said, and and I agree with you almost ninety nine percent of what you're saying. So first of all, what I think MLB's proposal is seven teams. So you have. Uh, so the idea is seven from each league yeah. uh, make the playoffs. So it's a 14 team playoff, not 16 like other groups. Uh, what you basically do is you have the best team with the best record have a buy. And then the other remaining two uh, division winners uh, and the top wild card, they host wild card series. And then you have three teams progressing and you have four, and then move on. And, in an ideal world, for the very long, period, longest of time, I was of the opinion that the length of a baseball season has a certain integrity to it. And it really differentiates good team from the bad. And you want, you don't want to dilute the value of a good season, right? Yeah. Like an 80-win team beating a 93-win team. Like even this year, like 200-win teams played a one-off game, right? Giants and the Dodgers. But there are a few things to consider. So one is that this is not solving the problem. What's happening is once you know you're not making the playoffs, it's out of your reach, you are tanking. Good point. And that tank tank nation, it's not one, two, three teams. It's like a lot of teams that start to tank because very soon you figure out you're not going to make the playoffs, right? Okay, last year was an anomaly in both leagues. Lots of 90-game winners, right? Like it was like really crazy. But even if you look at uh, uh, the 2019 season, you had like four or five teams in the AL that won 55 games or less or less than 60 games. Um, So it it, it doesn't make for a good sport either, right? Because now you have to watch these teams 162 times a year as well. So that's one. The second is the economics, the reality of economics, the world we live in. Less eyeballs in a regular season game, more eyeballs in a playoff game, which means you do need to bring that revenue, which is important. And thirdly, the thing about soccer, which is what I love, is there's something to play for. For for starters, there's no playoffs in the league itself, right? Yeah. So the top teams, you have slots for the Champions League. So you obviously try to win the money in the league and you make to Europe the next spot goes to the Europa and then you're also battling to avoid relegation as well. So, so that's, that's the, the
0: big difference. It's, it's that relegation that makes it different.
2: Exactly. So it's the middling teams that kind of sometimes figure out what do we want to do? Do we want to put our resources on the league cups and all those, you know, knockoff competitions and try and gain some trophies. And so it keeps it interesting throughout the only true knockout competitions in your, in soccer are the champions league or the Europa yeah. where again, We've heard conversations, teams want to, you know, increase the pools. We've seen bigger clubs now wanting to have a slightly more, you know, guarantee. So they want to increase the spots because very soon we're going to have Newcastle as a regular, you know, appearance. So that's going to be at the expense of either a Man U or a Liverpool or someone, right? Newcastle in five years is probably going to have the highest payroll in the world, like by a massive distance. So, so I mean, these things, uh, so in the playoff format, it, these things do come up in Europe as well. But I think that's the reality that, yes, the, the, the length of the season is important, but how do you avoid tanking? Like, I'm a bit of a radical on the draft. I would actually penalize for tanking. You, like, the top 10 picks should be protected. Bottom five record, you don't get, like, I, like, so you could, yeah, yeah, you could put it's that unrealistic, in. but you have to put some I
1: agree tank. that you need to have you need to disincent, disincentivize it. I still believe even with expanded playoffs, teams would still tank. It just the period yeah, of sure. tanks, you may not it may not go on as long. But I mean, and I'm not defending tanking here, but if you look at the teams that have tanked in recent history that are in decent sized markets. There was a period after they did follow with spending after the fact, whether we like, like, whether we enjoyed the tank period or not. Like, case in point, the Jays they bottomed out in 2019 and they took that T and they pretty much started a tank job in mid once they finally gave up that old core. They did a they tanked um, from mid 20, 2018 and 2019, and then 2020, I mean. They got in a 60-game season. They probably wouldn't have gotten in had it been with that roster over 162 games, and they probably would have tanked that year as well <laughs> before going into free agency to spend. But most teams that did have did go through prolonged tanking did end up at some point spending money on free agency.
0: Unless you're the Marlins. Well, yeah.
1: It, oh, it,
0: <laughs> prolonged Houston tanking has, in the Marlins case.
1: You should and even though we hate them, uh, they spent Philly, did a tank. I mean, Houston popularized it. I mean, they were like the first team to truly exploit tanking,
2: but uh, but Phillies was more strategic, you know, because Phillies is generally a big market,
1: yeah. And then they went, they but they're not they went and they spent the uh, Carper, Wheeler, Toronto, Detroit, um. Tigers are starting to, I mean, they did the Baez deal, right? So that's sort of, that's the start of it. They were in, uh, they could still be in on Korea when the um, lockout ends. The Cubs, um, when they they did their tank and then they spent a lot. Uh, So the only way to really, the economics are so screwed up in baseball because the truth is whenever guys get to free agency such a late age, That the back end of those deals are going to be bad. So unless you strike early, or you just have a consistent good flow of younger players coming in, two years from now we're probably going to be thinking, okay, how do they? How do the Jays offload George Springer?
0: But but I mean, to to, to be honest with you, though, like I I don't know that any league has actually figured it out. Because even like as as screwed up as the economics in baseball might be, the NBA never figured it out. Like they they tried to change it with the weighting of the of the lottery, but. People still tank. Not to the level of Philly, mind you, but like... Yeah,
1: because the NBA, it's all about the impact of a player. Like, if you get into that lottery where it's a really... If you can get an impact player, that can turn your franchise around quickly. Different... I mean, I I really... believe If league minimums were higher... But then the existing players will say, "Well, we didn't get the league minimum. Now here's our chance to get paid, and we're not going to get paid." So it's a very complicated well, situation. Well,
2: yeah, but 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 here's the thing: in two thousand and nine, it won't show up in the payroll. But Steven Strasburg signed fifteen million dollars. Yeah, come like when he was pay, selected in the draft, because the draft, the would the draft slots were mere recommendations. Teams could go as high as they want, so fifteen million made sense for a number one draft pick. The fact that now we have hard caps makes this thing even worse. Like, Im- like remember the 2010 draft that Blue Jay fans love to talk about, but how they manipulated the system? They were signing guys for hot dogs at the end just to save the five grand and go up. That was 2012, 2012. 2010 sorry. with the older rules. The, the older rules. Yeah, you're right. So, the Sanchez, Sindergaard, Nicolino, when they were signing those guys. So, I mean, in all honesty, um, and teams will always manipulate. You'll never have a foolproof system, right? But what do you want to do? You want to structurally improve the system in a way that you're protecting. So if you know that the free agency is a no-no, you can reduce that. You know you're going to go there at, at the like later. Why not try to get more out up front? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, oh, I agree with that hundred percent. That and the especially now the way that we now know, like back in the day, I mean now we value defense. We can quantify ba- defense and base running a lot more effectively. And even if a team hit a player, young player comes up, I mean other than the, the elite stars, well, even the lad struggled his first couple of years. Teams will say, well, you know, they're struggling. But now we, now that we know for a fact that even a below average offensive player can still be a very positive overall contributor to the team if they're able to defend and run the bases fairly well, because if they couldn't do any of those things, they wouldn't get the call-up. Then <laughs> um, they should be paid more because even a below average hitter making 500,000 can be much more valuable than a good free agent signing, good player for eight, 9 million. That's 30, 31 years old. It's tough because I can even understand from the perspective of the players, like if I'm a 31 year old player now and I'm in free agency, or I'm going to, that's to say, I took a deal that bought out a few years of my free agency and I'm thinking that I'm going to get the free agency at age 33 where I have a chance at, even if it's a shorter term, I have a chance at a big payday. But if I see all these other young guys coming up and all of a sudden getting their pays bumped, that will impact my free agency payday because I had to work my way through the old system and was underpaid in the early parts of my career. So I'm now in a position to fight for myself. It's so complicated hence why and i think the owners take very a lot of advantage of the union because there's a i'm sure the union
0: has a ton of
1: infighting with this a ton of it
0: can, can i ask you guys a question why why aren't let's say latin american prospect latin american prospects why aren't they subject to go through the draft why why is it a separate process for them rather than Does like look- in the in the nba like you know europeans go through the draft well, they put Puerto Rico
1: into the draft, and that's been very bad for Puerto Rico, Puerto Rican players. They don't have the infrastructure. So you can watch a high school player in a proper the
2: evaluation league. evaluation becomes yeah. difficult, right? It's
1: much easier to evaluate a high school player. You get, they're in a league. They're being coached. They're playing in, in games. There's an infrastructure in place. There are travel teams. There's showcases. You get enough looks at guys in college, even more so. In Latin America, it's it doesn't work like that. Like you don't have proper leagues. They it goes through the buscones. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah, but but like you still have like you're still. It's Giannis was a gamble, but it's going to kill them because nobody's going to draft those guys because they're going to fall out. They're not going to get paid because they're
1: going to say that how can we draft these? We're not going to pay them. We're not going to we have a limited pool of resources to spend in a draft. <laughs> just like what happened to Puerto Rico, Puerto Rican baseball got decimated because they got put in the draft.
0: That's why you don't have a lot of Puerto Ricans in the league now. Could they not do like a Latin American only draft and still have it be subject to the draft order? I'm just thinking, cause like, if you think about it, like you, you see who these, who who a lot of these players are, 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 are signing with. or are like, you know, there there are certain teams who are going to have a higher profile in Latin America just because they see them on on TV all the time. Yeah. Yankees, for instance. Yankees will always be the Yankees. Dodgers will always be the Dodgers. They're always going to be. I don't know how the Dodgers do in Latin America, to be honest with you. But Blue Jays are huge in Latin America. Yeah, yeah, but but like you know what I mean? Like it's it's just it feels like an unfair advantage to a team who's already who's already big, is already rich, and now you're giving them not like, really because. It's really just who devotes the resources to it and who knows the system and
1: who knows all the key players and who can get to these guys and who knows how to hand, deal with the handlers.
0: I'm thinking about those top, top players. Like, you know, there's always a handful of like, those think, top but, players. I mean,
1: Vlad, I mean, the Blue Jays aren't necessarily, weren't necessarily the top, top tier team. Fair enough. Time. Like, they teams got, like, Oakland got Cespedes, remember? Yeah. Like, out of Cuba, a little different, but... I don't think it's very different. I I don't know the numbers as to who spends most in Latin America but I, I let's put it this way like obviously that there are still limits first of all so it's yeah. not like uh so it's not like like the Yankees and the the Dodgers can just go crazy and just
0: yeah yeah just
1: blow everybody out of the water
0: I'm just thinking in terms of profile, right? still a bit like there are
1: certain teams like Baltimore didn't even go down there until like Baltimore just in the last two years have started building their Latin American infrastructure. And that's going to take them a long time to get up to speed. Um, There's still limits. So it's not like one rich team can just buy everybody, right? There's still limited money, but it's just a different process. And I don't, and I think subject in, unless you're going to invest in having proper leagues set up for these kids from a young age and a proper system at the grassroots level. And then once you've invested that money and gotten to, a, then maybe in five, six years, you do a draft. You're going to kill Latin American baseball.
0: You, you know what you just said right now is, is the best idea because of what they should do. And I know we're running a little long now, but what, we, what they should do is similar to what the NBA has done in Africa set up and it'll be a little bit different because you're going to be targeting younger kids but set up an official league structure it you know in as as a regional league and then you have like um like a uh, like a national tournament but this way and 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 this way it looks less like you're like you're exploiting exploiting these kids and then just casting them aside because you, you can actually teach them things you know have have an educational component to it I don't know what it would cost. And I don't know if the MLB has the appetite to do that. But and really, then you have
1: to also remember the African players end up with, at some point, they'll make their way to the States and play in college here, or they'll play in Europe. They'll get yeah. into the leagues where that are scouted. So you're going to have to still get those players, like into like junior colleges or high schools. school. So so to get if, the I'm,
2: if I'm not mistaken, I think there was a proposal as part of this CBA to implement a draft. I think the challenge, because I think MLB itself probably would want a draft. It makes things straightforward for them. I think there may be some resistance from the PA because right now, okay, in US, the drafts exist and there's not much you can do about it. But right now, the player has the flexibility to choose a team of their liking as well. Now, I mean, there's a lot of, so I I think one thing is clear that both parties agree that something needs to happen the thing is that both parties aren't don't agree on the same thing. Cause I don't think PA wants a draft. PA wants a different solution um, where the player has the flexibility to sign with the team they want. Uh, but uh, right now as things stand today, kids are subject to a lot of manipulation, right? There's a lot of deals under the table, agreed upon like handshake deals. I mean, as that soon happened. as it's like hockey or like, you know, like day one, you sign contract. Like, you have a very complicated contract in hockey that you sign first day of free agency in one hour. And it's like, wow, you yeah, guys came, you, to, came you, to an yeah. agreement.
1: I, I understand reforming it. But if these guys, if, if these fuckers end up just reforming it, it's like, all right, starting in 2023, we're doing a draft. All you're going to do is just make owners richer, and you're going to lose the Latin American element. You're going to kill Latin America. You're going to lose so many Latin Americans. I hope the PA is smart enough to realize. I hope there are enough prominent Latin American players in there who will say, like, hey, you know, you can't do this. Like, it's you're going to kill it. You're going to kill baseball globally.
2: Uh, honestly, uh, I think the spending limits have to go away. But then the other challenge is okay in Dominican it works. For Cuban players, it's a bit different then. Still,
0: <laughs> yeah. What about the Nicaraguan players? There and aren't a lot. Right? It's, <laughs> no, not...
1: I mean, a lot of teams are deliberately not scouting in Venezuela because it's very dangerous. Yeah. Like a lot of teams are saying, like for the safety of their staff, they're not sending guys down. <laughs> So it's Dominican is where it all where it's all at, and Cuba, and you'll get the odd, uh, like Mexico. Um, yeah. you'll have to see Central America. In Mexico,
2: you have a lot of presence.
1: Yeah, you, and then there are some Central American countries that will provide some guys too.
0: But but it, it, it's funny. I was so uh, just listening to that the R. E. Dickey book, and he was talking about the ninety six um ninety six Olympics, and who did they play in the bronze medal game? It was U. S. against Nicaragua, and I think that was the. Uh, that was probably the falling off point of Nicaraguan baseball because I remember growing up as a kid, Nicaragua was always competing in things, and it just like I don't know if it was the money or or kids started to go towards soccer, but you just don't see Nicaraguan prospects anymore. Like there's the odd one, um, um, like Loizaga, but I mean there aren't very many.
2: So what happened?
0: I don't know. I don't know. I, I've asked my dad this before, and and I don't. I don't. I'm not sure if he's too aware because he's not he's not there anymore obviously but like i honestly think soccer soccer has become a lot bigger and i think their their program is slightly improved but i don't know if it's a government thing I, I i honestly don't know but it would be interesting to find out because like it 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 is honestly a baseball hungry nation that was their sport and i don't know if it still is but that was their sport
2: hmm. maybe we can bring someone to talk about it
0: yeah that would that would be awesome or, or just like if if anybody is is watching this, somehow finds this, maybe I'll chop this one up into a smaller video, but if somebody wants to come come on and talk about Latin American baseball, I tried to look for Latin American baseball books. Couldn't find a whole lot, but it it's would be over. awesome. Nobody wants to talk. <laughs> the team, nobody's
1: going to yeah. talk about it.
0: <laughs> they don't want to ruin it, man. It's all, it's covert. It. There's yeah. so
1: much, like, behind, like, Handshake deals and and money and under the table. Nobody wants to. Nobody can talk about. It. Nobody wants to disclose what goes on. I,
0: I like this though. Like we, we did the um we did the Negro League baseball episode. Uh, what was it two years ago? So just to plug uh, that.
2: Yeah, ahead. actually, because this is the Black History Month, I was actually going to say that. So thank you for bringing that up, Ron. So we would definitely recommend our viewers to go and check that episode right. out. It's actually really good, even if you're not into baseball, just the history. It. it you know this these are the situations where the socioeconomic factors and how society was organized back then yeah. you learn a lot about different things and um it's it's very very it was very very eye opening for us
0: and and actually he um we, we did get the names of a couple people who could who could probably come on for an episode about latin american baseball probably mm-hmm. more from a historical perspective but maybe they can give us some like more current stuff so maybe maybe that's a, a good idea for for next episode.
2: Yeah, absolutely. In baseball probably
0: more from his. All right. So uh, I think that's a good place to end it off. We're at, we're at an hour and 10 minutes. I think we thought this was going to be like 40, 50 minutes. And we ended up talking a whole lot about baseball, but um, any last thoughts before we go?
2: Uh, No, we should do this more often.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, I, I think we always have our little break where we do like, th- I can't believe it's been three months, but I mean, yeah, we'll, well, I I'm, I'm definitely up for it. I am too, but maybe at a, Not when I'm this tired. (laughs) I'm going to bed. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And uh, hopefully we'll be back next week. Uh, If not, just follow us on Twitter. We'll let you know when there's a new episode. Um, You can listen to our podcast as well. Um, And just hit us up if there's anything you want to hear us talk about or any any questions you have. um, By all means, definitely um, definitely hit us up. Um, Thanks again for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thanks, guys.